welcome everyone to Thunderdome Metal Reviews. With this week, we are doing a grab bag. This week, this month, this moment in the time-space continuum. What is time anyway? We are doing a grab bag of side projects in coincidental celebration of one Mr. Newport launching his new podcast. So Tracy, why don't you tell us about that before we get into what these side projects are? Me and a friend I've known for about 20... Oh, God, I think we met when I was 10. He's a big ass movie buff. He likes movies about as much as I like music, about everybody on this podcast likes music. So we decided to do a movie podcast called the 35 millimeter podcast. You can find us where most podcasts are, most podcasts are carried. And we've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I think he's doing a TikTok. You should follow him on all the social medias because they are actually much more active than we are on our social medias. You might actually get something out of it, at least on our podcast social media. The individual social medias are kind of active. Anywho, that is neither here nor there. Some may ask, Ben, why did you decide to do this particular grab bag? And what the is reason this is, it's side projects. I already said that, Tracy. You did say that? He did to yeah, introduce why. your side project. That, <laughs> oh, like, that's right. That like fell in Selma was going to tear. It's going to tear repeating. us apart. It's, <laughs> it's, it's totally worth repeating because someone's going to get it wrong. They are. Someone's going to come into this with really, really the wrong idea. We have to 100%. set the record straight. Like they're going to be like, hey, I thought this was the the third album podcast it's not the third album podcast. (laughs) (laughs) this is the it's the solo side project podcast come on it's it's the it's the second soundtrack podcast (laughs) yes amazing it's the bane band said no podcast (laughs) yeah tour our band apart podcast it, that they tore our band apart. That would actually be a good name for a podcast, right? right. That, but um, no, this one we are just um, looking at various musicians who left or took a hiatus from their main band and formed another band and released at least one album. Um, I think actually all of these have more than one, except for the Tracy's pick because it's new. So yeah, this is just like. Either these songs didn't fit for a new band, we all actively hated each other at the time, or something like that. Or I want to do a new take on an old genre. I both hate you and want to make an album, which I trash you on the album. Tommy Iommi. <laughs> that was a long submarine marriage of individuals. But um, yeah, so any, any other questions or comments about this before we dive into what the albums are? I think we're going to have to wait and see about my pick to see whether it actually followed the rules. <laughs> yes. um, I, I, you'll, you'll see that I took advantage of the very vague uh, formation or formulation of the topic to put in something that I found interesting. But I mean, um, <laughs> it's, it's not actually Dinosaur Jr. Bam side project. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Game is, is it's known for Dinosaur Boom, Jr., done. so I consider it, yeah. Right, well, I mean, well, anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get there. Don't don't incur the holster's wrath before you even need to. Just like let it let it settle I, in. I, not not to put too fine a point on it, but I don't know that the the F holster is going to get worked out this time. But uh, the the album that I chose was depending on whom you ask, either Super Joint or Super Joint Rituals. Second album, A Lethal Dose of American Hatred, released on July twenty second in two thousand and three. Had a runtime of 46 minutes and 11 seconds. It was released on Sanctuary. Dave Fortman and Superjoint Ritual are listed as the producers. The band at the time of recording 
was Phil Anselmo on vocals and additional guitars, Kevin Bond on lead guitar, Jimmy Bauer of I Heart God on rhythm guitar, and Hank Williams III on bass, with Joe Fazio on drums. So one of those this was, was not like the others. Which one? The Hank Williams the third. Um, spoken like a person who's never heard Ash Jack. So yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying like the names that guy was like, huh. Because his main major, I guess, most well known for his country aspect, right? I mean, have you met him? If he's known for anything, yeah. <laughs> have you yeah. seen what Pandera is capable of, Tracy? Anyway, I, it all it all makes sense for me. Why did you pick this out? In, you have such a huge universe. I mean, Phil and Selma alone uh, had what six hundred side projects that destroyed the band. Oh my god! Yeah, we all cared about. But why, I would say the we, other one. That's we could like probably the, do like I'll go ten ahead. blasts. I was going to say Mike Patton. Same. Right, the like yeah. 27 side project blast every Phil and Selmo side band. Why'd you pick this one? I mean, Phil and Selmo is obvious, but... It was mainly because of the Phil and Selmo factor, but um, I picked this because in a lot of ways, this was the band that replaced at least Pantera, his membership in Pantera. I agree with that. I mean, there was the whole thing that looked down, but... This felt more Pantera to me than that. It did. For sure. Like, listen to this album. It's similar to how it was when we did Sepultura to Soulfly and how that was like sure. part two of Roots. Like, you could definitely see this as like Great Southern Training Kill part two. 100%, dude. Kind of shockingly so compared to Down. I was like, oh shit, this sounds like lawsuit levels of continuity. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, you know we'll, we'll talk about Burton Seabell and Geyser in a moment. We've got a lot of <laughs> broken dreams and broken lives and broken friendships in this podcast. But yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like it's going to be one of those series of unfortunate events podcast. Well, he committed to this shit so much, allegedly, that that's part of the reason the rest of Pantera got fucking fed up with him. That and he wanted to turn it into, I don't know what you want to call this, punk thrash whatever this thing is that he, you know, the sort of dirty New Orleans metal thing where they wanted to be more of a party band. This is a beast. I mean, if you consider just like the different styles that are represented on this album, but what's cool about it is that the pieces that make it up don't feel random. Um, They fit together really well and they combine in really interesting ways. I mean, there's just like a shit ton of aggression and heaviness on this. There's, you know, hardcore punk all over the place. Um, it's got death, even like kind of bits of death metal in there. It's uh, it's just a whole, whole vibe. Yeah, like this, I think, is 100% if Phil and Sama would have had his way with Pantera, this would have been their sound. Like from the moment one, not even build up to it, this is what he would have had done. But then this is when you can say the proverbial um, bumper guards are taken off of what Phil and Sama wants to do with the band. And you see that with, I mean, even his lineup or like as some of the people like most associated with some of that New Orleans, New Orleans sludge, and then also along with just the punkness of uh, Hank the Third. Yeah, and the thing that I find really interesting about that, along with all the points that you guys all made, is you know this is well after Pantera had split up. I mean, it's released. I don't remember exactly when Dime was killed, but I think it was two thousand and three or two thousand and four. Um, I think it was a four because I was yeah. It, junior at the time in American history class and she made us do a this had this in the week in the news thing and she like I don't know who this guy is but he's been all in the news and she's like dying and that who died this week in a shooting at a concert yeah. I was like fuck you bitch it's dying back <laughs> um you know so this to me especially Phil's performance on that felt much more Pantera 
than what he did with Down. And granted, Down was significant, you know, a few years earlier than this. But I really just the lyrics and, and everything on here felt a whole lot more Phil slash Pantera than the Down lyrics did. And so, yeah, I can definitely see that this was a culmination of this is the stuff that I wanted to do in Pantera that we couldn't all quite get on the same page as. And I just wonder what this would have sounded like if he had recorded it with Pantera. We'll never know. And as Gabe said, this is a beast on its own. Um, but yeah, listening to this, with all the personal stuff with Phil aside, like his bouts with addiction abuse, both heroin and alcohol, and his tendency to can be a complete, um, either being so completely unself-aware as to throw a swastika because he thinks it's or um, not a swastika a, a nazi salute because he thinks it's funny or to actually be a white supremacist if you listen to him on this you can see why he was the prototypical frontman in the 90s because there's swaggers there the voice is not like as good as it was on cowboys from hell but like everything else is completely on point i think down because it's really hard to overcome the power of Pepper Keenan has a much more COC sound to it. That really does not make it sound like the Great Southern Tread Kell Part 2, The Reckoning. Because this, when I was listening today, it was like, oh, because it, it doesn't even remind me of, what is it, Reinventing the Steel? Is that the last one? Yeah, that was yeah. the last one. Yeah, like there's a few moments when I hear Reinventing Steel on this, but it's it's majorly great. There, Great Southern Trinity Kill. hundred percent. And I think it's stylistically a bit more experimental in the ways that Kate was describing than Down ever was. I dig Down. We've reviewed Down. We gave it a good score. Yeah. Um, this is a very different animal and much more likely to hurt you. Yeah. And, and the reason I chose the second one is because I can remember listening to the first one when it when it came out and actually not really liking it. I probably ought to go back and listen to that. Use Once and Destroy in 2002. But this one, I really, really think is a monster, as Gabe said. Yeah. And they had been... I guess super joint had been a thing since our mid nineties, hadn't it? Or even a little bit sooner, but they didn't actually start recording until post Pantera. Like I think the first one came, yeah, like this one and the first one came out before Dimeback had passed. So like this was definitely his I still want my Pantera feel. Or my Pantera yes, they, fix. I don't know what they did, but they officially did form in the early nineties. I don't know exactly when, but they didn't record anything until then. And actually I think David was right in that the the recording of this, him deciding to after having done down, then moving and doing the super joint album is kinda or the first super joint ritual album was kinda the thing that, you know, kinda ended Pantera. I mean, ultimately it's the deaths of Dime and Vinny, but you know, this is what made them split and like there's a lot of hard words back and forth between both camps. Yes. Also heroin. Yes. Heroin. <laughs> Enormous quantities of drugs, which he talks about a lot on this album in ways that are he really terrible. Like that time I got all my friends addicted to oops, but we'll get in the tracks in a moment. It's this, this, this is bordering on, I hate God grade occasionally, but I mean, how could it not? It's from that same vortex of suffering. Yeah. And it's got like the guitars from, I hate God in it. So <laughs> indeed, yeah. indeed. this is just a little more, targeted i want to say than i hate god is at times i like this better but obviously because it's more up tempo not all the time but you know this i like the sound sludge makes and i like the accents but i can't just take the crock pot and just dump it in my mouth like ben can like i need more tempo i'll just choke it's too much ben it's too powerful well i hate god is certainly more performance art than this is yeah exactly that's what i was going to say there is phil for all you know the fact that he did like in a minor which is like 
the most New Orleans thing ever, and actually we'll, we'll get around to reviewing that at some point, even though it's not really metal, is nowhere near the performance artist that um, Michael Nine is. Yeah, no doubt. But I was surprised how much I liked this. I think I heard that first one, too, and wasn't a huge fan. And I, too, should probably revisit it. But I don't remember being blown away. I wasn't into it as I, the way I was into town, for example. Yeah. Maybe because I like CSA, but we don't need to go back to that. That's possibly it, because you're, you're right. I mean, that's the, the down has, because the Pepper's guitar tone sounds so much closer to a coc album yes. at least musically oh yeah it does and even the kinds of songs i mean it was more like coc than it was like certainly the last two panteras is yeah. it kirk on that first album as well kirk winstein on downs first yes album? yes because mm-hmm. of course he is <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's playing rhythm and like pepper's handling the lead so yeah the guitar tone also was very coc adjacent anyway we've already reviewed that i'm reviewing this one but i was pleasantly surprised when i when i popped this head i was like oh shit this is as ben says a beast a big big deal a big heavy hitter yeah well do we have anything else to say or shall we move on to songs that does discuss the songs sure i hope everybody's got their drink ready because they kind of like them all um Ones that really stick, uh, stood out to me uh, um, were the destruction of a person <laughs> dressed like a target. Holy fuck. Um, stealing a page or two from Armed and Radical Pagans. <laughs> but honestly, I could have just read any of the, of the titles. Uh, like I said, I do kind of like them all. I mean, that's about I like pretty much all of these. I think it really does reach a crescendo, though, from dressed like a target through destruction of a person. It's so devastating. Just it's obviously Phil's uh, exploring his psyche on this album, but uh, that whole arc in the sort of the middle, the sort of tracks three through like seven, eight is so amazing. But this whole thing is quite good. I'm gonna listen to it again. I don't think I like it as much as Ben and David did. Again, like I've been liking it to great. So I'm trying to kill and it's my least favorite Pantera album. So there is that there. I didn't have the joy of waiting at the record store like these two did and salivating for it to come out and listening to it 50 times the first day. So that's coward that? talk. Just be older, Tracy. <laughs> well, let me gain 10 years. How about that? Be older. But I'd say I really enjoyed personal insult, stealing a page or two from our from radical pagans, uh, symbol of nevermore, and knife rises. I kind of liked all of them. And I think I just would shout out maybe two tracks that haven't been named already. Never to Sit or Stand Again is just amazing. It's got kind of a lot of deathy riffs. It has sort of a doomy, very slow piece to it and hardcore. It's got like all of the things in it. Uh, I also really like The Knife Rises. But yeah, Destruction of a Person is just like totally um, insane. Love that. Oh, hell yeah. Which brings us to the album that David picked. Um GCR or Geezer, as I guess it's actually supposed to be pronounced, but I always just called it GCR's debut studio album, Plastic Planet, uh, released on October 26th of 1995 with a runtime of 47 minutes and 18 seconds on TVT Records. I'm not exactly sure who the producer was, but I assume the Geezer Butler, the bass guitarist and keyboardist for the band and the namesake had something to do with that. It's also had Burton C. Bells on vocals, Pedro House who is the nephew of Geezer Butler on guitars, and Dean Casanova, who I believe is the drummer for Journey. He was in the uh, 2000s. So, David, why'd you pick this one? Not because... Okay, so not the, not, 
not the no, OG drummer. I don't think he's the OG drummer. But anyway, oh, I did not pick this because of Journey. Uh, I picked this. <laughs> that would be funny if that was the reason. I, I, I got to this by way of Burton C. Bell because I had a compilation. I think it was a TVD, TVT compilation that had Drive Boy shooting. I was like, this is awesome. And then I found the album when I was in Los Angeles, like Road Trip came out. And so I listened to the shit out of this because I was coming off of Demanufacture. And I was still listening to all that stuff that Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio and, you know, like Dehumanizer days. At some point, we need to listen to some of that stuff. Anyway, like I'd stayed on that ride. So combining Black Sabbath and Fear Factory for me was like an obvious, like I was just an easy mark for this. It does read as very mid-1990s, but, you know, why not? The bass is very much mixed in the front, Ben. Uh, that's true. <laughs> it is very, very clear. Very mixed in the front. There was some bass playing on here. So anyway, yeah, it was just a cool thing that I was into that I listened to a ton um, my first year in college. So how many of y'all, I mean, Tracy and Ben, had you heard this before? Or Nope. Okay. I think it's pretty obscure. Okay. So I, I had heard it before. Um, I, I don't think I had the album, but I'd heard some of the songs off of it. I, I don't know where I would have heard them. It was on Mortal Kombat. So a ton of people probably heard Invisible on the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. This was that era, man, where the soundtracks were better than the movies were. I think we've had this conversation. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was on a lot of compilations. It was just around these song, these like driveway shooting and visible were just like on compilations and soundtracks. And then it vanished forever because he like, you know, the lineup switched already two years later. Because it's, this is all this is really about Geezer, not about Burton Seabell. And that's okay. Burden would have plenty of time to ruin the band later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Anyway, this is the innocent days, 1995. I guess I was asking because I think my expectations going into this were unreasonably high because of like, because of the Sabbath lineage. Like, I just think that people who are going to listen to this might be expecting the, you know, high bar of songwriting and especially also lyric writing that, some of the uh, Sabbath records show, right? I think that some of this album actually does try to kind of latch on to that legacy musically. But for me, it just doesn't really get there. Like, I think that a lot of the compositions just aren't as interesting or as powerful as some of, some of what Sabbath has done. And unfortunately, I thought that Burton C. Bell's vocals they tend to, when they're clean, just not sound very good here. <laughs> like they sound kind of out of place. And sure. what you're thinking of, or what I was thinking of is like, hey, like Ozzy would have fit perfectly there. And like, he could have done it better, even though his voice isn't that good. You know what I mean? Like he's not, you know, a high, you know, echelon like singer or something like that. But I mean, I think that with the kind of music that is going on here, sometimes I think his voice would work better. And then my, my last complaint before I, you know, uh, shut up is that, the lyrics on some of these tracks could not be sillier. And I'm definitely not here for that. Um, especially if it kind of takes away from the music itself. Are you having flashbacks to Guar? Like it's like you're back in Nam all over again. It's Guar <laughs> your Nam moment, Gabe. <laughs> well, I think I enjoyed Dave Rocky's voice like more than I enjoyed this, <laughs> to be honest. As silly as as silly as some of that content was. But at least like you know from the get-go that you're gonna get some silly. And you know that they balance that silly quotient with like the political commentary as well. And while I can't say I listened closely enough to hear any political commentary here, 
it wasn't immediately obvious. Like it could be. It's here, but he's such a, you know, British working class guy. Cause obviously Burton didn't get to write anything. Uh, he invited Devin Townsend, but Devin Townsend's like, I just did yeah. it for Stevie Ray Vi and I didn't get to write any lyrics. So no, which I don't know if that would have made Tracy like it more. Tracy's like interesting anyway. So, um, this is definitely geezer Butler's show. And we've talked about this with a lot of, I don't know. I think black Sabbath was purely written as an ensemble. And obviously this isn't that. He also is literally wanting to kill uh, Iomi at this point for continuing without him as Black Sabbath. So there's a lot of weird pathos here that's, you know, hardcore and a little terrifying. And I know more about now than I did then, to be honest. Like at this moment, isn't Black Sabbath just Tommy Iommi? Yes, with just whoever he could get. And but the thing was, you know, it's like the Fear Factor shit later. I mean, maybe this is where Burton Bell, Burton C. Bell learned it from watching you, Dad. Like just how you could, I don't know, just the war over the brand that leaves all with Ash. Yeah. Well, I do want to say, Gabe, I think you're wrong in everything you just said, pretty much. In the fact that I think Burton C. Bell has one of the most unique clean singing voices in metal. I really enjoy his clean singing voice. I would not have wanted Ozzy than this. This sounds a lot more like, to me, the guitar work sounds a lot more like a Fear Factory album than it would, than I was expecting to hear from Geezer Butler. I was just, since he was handed a lot of the writing duties for Black Sabbath, I was expecting also a lot more of the similar Black Sabbath style. And this is much more demanufacturer. If you were to, this is closer to demanufacturer by a long shot than anything I think Black Sabbath has released. What and the fuck so, did you listen to? I disagree with that completely. Like I've heard a lot. (laughs) A lot of this reminds me of Fear Factory. I don't think it sounds like, I don't think it sounds like that at all. I don't even know Fear Factory that well, but it sounds so much like grunge. It's like grunged up like Sabbath for part of it. And then the other part, I don't even know what it is. It's to me, it sounded definitely, and I'm sorry, I didn't re- really mean to, to completely throw you off your, your groove there, Tracy. Uh-huh. But I, I, you know, I love Burton C. Bell's voice, but I kind of agree with Gabe that there are places here where he felt out of place because I think because he didn't write this, and I don't know if he, how much of the lyrics in Fear Factory, I don't remember. I know he did some of it. Like most. Um, yeah, he it's not his words, it's so not. it doesn't co- completely fit. And there are places where if it was a Fear Factory song, he would have been able to like kick it into a higher gear, which he doesn't do here, whether it was clean or, or going with the um, his vocal fry. Um, the guitarist, you can tell that he's only in the band because he's Iomi's nephew, because he hasn't done anything else. And I think the guitar work on here is not very good. The bass work is good. The drumming is, is solid. But like the guitar itself, I, it's like 70s hard rock slash arena rock stuff. And I don't think it sounds anything other than it's the vocalist from Fear Factory, like Fear Factory music. I think Burton C. Bell used this to play with clean vocals. You know, there's a fair amount of them on Demanufacture, but I think for him, this was one, he probably did this in two, three weeks in and out. And two, I think he used this as an experimental uh, laboratory. Does that make sense? Which doesn't negate or reinforce any point any of you are making, but I think he clearly used this as a lab because, you know, what follows this is obsolete which I think he borrows uh, a lot of the low vocal stuff. He does here. He does it better in obsolete. I'm sure they spend more two studio time doing it. I'm sure he cares about it more. It's his words. But uh, so I think this was important for his evolution. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was fun and sorry. It's tearing Thunderdome apart. I feel like we have very divergent opinions. About it. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, it makes sense what you're saying, David, because number one, 
um, the first track I listened to, like the very first track, it was like, okay, this guy is channeling Ozzy right now. Like he's trying to sound like Ozzy, but he can't. He's just fucking around, which is fine. (laughs) And then, you know, there's a song on here where he like kind of raps. I think it's the invisible. Yes. (laughs) Like rapping is not singing. And just because you can sing, it doesn't mean you can rap. Right. So I don't know. I think he was told to try some shit and he did. (laughs) That's that, that, that may totally be it. And he didn't write the words. And I think that makes a difference too. So I think what you, guys are maybe conflating is I'm trying to compare this to DM manufacturer factory, which I don't think it does sound like as much like that. I think it sounds closer to archetype than which that's the one I probably listen to the most. Oh, that's what, okay. So the one that's just Burton C bell and who was it? Uh, the drummer or the bassist? He got the bassist and the drummer. No, but he, he lost Dino, which is a catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, and so that, like that's the, that's my favorite Fear factory album. Maybe the new one was standing that. I don't know. I haven't listened to them back to back. Your fear factor experience is weird, but no, I get it. Everyone gets on at different times. I'm sorry I wasn't old enough to buy albums of Fear Factory when it came out. Uh, you need to fix all these problems with time travel. I think Geezer was angry and he made this and he tried to be on trend. And I think Burton said, yeah, I'll do some vocals. And he did some and we got this album and yeah. I'm here, here for it. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not shooting this into space. Uh, I'm not going to put this in the Met, but uh, as a side project, I thought this was a fun thing that it existed. So, so here you go. You're welcome. I definitely think it's fun. You know, I don't know how seriously they were even taking it. Didn't seem like I mean, it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know that they like went on to to do other stuff, but I think like the only people who are in all of the the user are User Butler and his nephew. So anyway, they have a song uh, about Batman for gosh sakes. Like seriously, <laughs> totally. <laughs> A hundred percent. Well, I mean, Anthrax has one about Judge Dredd. So I thought thematically this, and maybe this is the thing where Geezer is used to writing for Ozzy or whomever the vocalist for Black Sabbath is going to be. But then he's yeah. like, oh yeah, Geezer Butler. I mean, I'm Burton C. Bell. You're into all this like weird sci-fi stuff. So let me write some weird sci-fi lyrics for you. What <laughs> 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 Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a very apt description. And Burton was like, okay, this this reads great. I'll I'll sing these words. Did you say Devin said no? Yeah, don't worry about that. Like now that you said that, trying to imagine hearing Devin sing this, I don't ah! think it would have worked. Like it would have been it would have been, been weird. Different. It would have been, been weird. Like even trying to hear Ozzy sing these songs, I'm like, mm, I don't think that would have worked as well. What about Roddy James Dio? Ah! I don't yeah, know. That would have been awesome. Ozzy is a, a, a guitar snob. He would not have worked on this album. He would have been like, you got to get a better fucking guitarist. I think that, <laughs> I, I think ultimately Geezer did not want to be outshone by any man. So he did not get the best guitarist he could have. <laughs> so here we are. Given he wanted to kill all guitarists. I mean, he's like in the middle of a divorce with this album, essentially, psychically. It's a lot of pathos, man. And Burton C. Bell, little baby Burton, little did he know he would replicate that cycle in his own band. Yeah, no doubt. Right. No doubt. Letter from watching you, Dad. <laughs> Tracks? Third songs on here. Uh, I picked it. I don't know. I mean, they're fun. I really like <laughs> Let me pull it up again. The opening is a little flat, but it picks up with driveway shooting. Giving up the ghost is so devastating. <laughs> That's the one about how much he wants to kill his former bandmate. Uh, 
you know, the stuff about environment, I think, is still pretty apt. I dig invisible. I admit it drags a bit towards the end. I don't know how I'm into the Batman song I, mean, I am. And the attempt at Planet Caravan at the end, eh, I have to admit, I used to just skip it. But I feel like he feels like he needs it. There are ways in which you can still tell that he's, you know, in his frame, you know, doing the formula, making a table or whatever. But, but you know, at only 47 minutes, which is maybe a hair long for Ben, it's, it's not a bad ride. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a touch long, but it goes by fairly quickly. Um, I agree with you. I like Drive Boy Shooting. I thought Plastic Planet was really good. Seance Fiction, I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I actually liked a Cycle of 60. Um, yeah, it's very much in, like, he could write the shit in his sleep because he's been doing it for so long. But I, I still enjoyed it. I really enjoy the first half of this album from... I enjoy the open evening from Catatonic, Catatonic Eclipse to Seance Fiction. I enjoy all those songs. I do think the back half does fall off. But uh, Drive Boy Shooting and Plastic Planet are both pretty damn good. I liked uh, Giving Up the Ghost, which is where I think the album actually starts, and Plastic Planet. And I thought Cyclone was okay. Uh, the rest I could take or leave pretty much. Well, all right. That brings us to Tracy's pick, uh, Rashomon by Ibaraki, which was released on May 6th of this year, 2022. It is on Nuclear Blast Records, has a runtime of 25 minutes. Oh, nope, that's just a, that side. It has a runtime of 61 minutes and 48 seconds. The lineup is... Matt Heafy, lyrics, guitar, songwriting, and vocals, with a few guest musicians along the way, Jared Way, and... Hell, Soberg Savitin came in and did some backing vocals. Hassan came in and played some guitars and also did some backing vocals. Heidi Soberg Savitin did some vocals and samples. Corey Bulai played down some guitar. Paulo Gugolito did bass. Adrian Soberg Fitlin did some additional vocals. Alex Spent on drums and Nurgle on vocals. So, kind of an all star one man project. Why'd you choose this, Tracy? Well, I chose it because it was a new album that came out this year. Kind of like, oh, I can fit this one in there. Because I think I think I originally had Troy Sanders' side project with the Queens of the Stone Age guitarist. I was like, mm, I'm going to go with this instead. And this has been a project that had been in the works for almost damn near a decade. Where he's been like, I'm working on this for years. And he finally got it finished across the finish line, I guess you could say. When I heard it, I didn't know what to expect. When I heard it and then I heard it, I was like, wow, this reminds me a lot of Shogun and really enjoyed it for when I heard it. And I was like, I'm gonna share it with the guys and see how much Ben hates it. So we'll see if that goal was met tonight or I, not. I, I, I yeah, don't how really much does it? Oh, that's disappointing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like this is supposed to be his take on black metal. And that the two things I took away from this is if you have good production and competent drumming, it doesn't sound anything like fucking black metal. So was it successful? No. Was it bad? Also, no. I mean, it just sounded like heavy metal to me. It really didn't. The black metal itch. I know he was like, there's black metal elements in here, which you don't get any in Trivium, but I feel like this is also a lot of stuff he wants to do in Trivium. And the band's like, no, it's not, because this is much more, I can see like on the reject pile for Trivium kind of stuff that he'd written stuff along the way. And just, I can't do that with him. Well, the uh, question is this any more or less um, Orientalist than that Iron Maiden album from last year? I think slightly less. Not to play the politics of ethnic descent, but literally it is his heritage in a way that is not true of Bruce Dickinson or any of those wonderful East London assholes. 
I mean, I don't think we necessarily need to measure the album on those merits because like, I think that the album's titles or whatever, like has nothing. I mean, it doesn't really add anything for me, to be honest, because like I just listened to the music and I tried to understand what was going on in the lyrics. I didn't really understand it anyway. So (laughs) any of the trappings of like a reference to a Kurosawa film or like, I don't know, Japanese song titles, which most people aren't going to understand anyway. It's like not for me, it doesn't play such a role here. What is kind of appropriate for me is the first and the last track, which are like this quasi East European, like, like Roma folk music going on, which is like, it's just not very good. And it seems very out of place, but it, it may have some meaning that escapes me. Like currently. he describes it as Eastern European gypsy vibe show. I'm like, Oh Jesus. So yeah, yeah no, this, it's, it's that's, a little, that's not, that's no bueno, but that it also doesn't break the record for me, but it's an interesting thing to compare them to Iron Maiden. <laughs> for sure there are actual japanese lyrics here there uh, here and oh, i yeah. won't, like i won't vouch for their you know accuracy or whatever but i feel like it's there's actual more video than just game a noises. here yeah there's actual video game noises on this so, that's, how, yeah. that's hey, how real the Japan that's authentic is. that is that is authentic guys i'll drink to that i was like yes <laughs> The bleeps, the bleeps. Stuff, I was like, fuck this. No wonder Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this. You know, there was a bit between the buried and me meets black metal going on here. I was like, Tracy, what have you done? But I thought it was pretty fun. I don't know. I didn't. I thought the Japanese stuff was sort of cool. Maybe I got drank the Kool Aid because I read an interview with him. I'm like, okay, this is making sense. And until he started going on about the Roma stuff, I'm like, this part doesn't make any sense. But I don't know. It's such a mess. The, the politics of authenticity and what you can own i'm glad he felt comfortable trying this and that people supported him and um it's well played you have to concede that right like there's oh, some totally, yeah. writing on here yeah yeah no it's a it's an interesting thing like it's you know the guy I'm can, can sing i mean he's he got can. some he's he got can. some pipes on him when we when we did the trivium blast it seemed like the lot of your main complaints coming out of that blast was it was very much mid-2000s emo porn which i think that is shed in this album compared this to- is not that yeah, it is not that. I mean, I, and like I said, I didn't read anything. I didn't read the interview or, or nothing. It's just like a lot of the press that I saw for this was like, this is Matt Heavey's sick on black metal. And again, and there's elements, but I mean, if I was thinking, what would I want on my black metal album? Gerard Way would not come up. So not that I thought he, his, <laughs> not that I thought his inclusion on this was bad because I like that song a lot, but it's just like, okay. I think people read that the emperor guy was producing and some assumptions were made. Out of the interview I read, he says very little black metal. It's like really leans very hard into the Japanese-ness of all this. That's what he spends almost the sure. entire time talking about. Um, so, I don't, reviews are weird, man. I don't, it's super groups yeah. are well, weird. Well, it was press, not necessarily reviews, but yeah, yeah. totally. I get your point. Yeah. So he spent a lot of time working with Isan, like him and Isan have become friends. Okay. And that's it. Emperor guy, for those not informed. I did not know that. And if you listen to any of Isan's soul albums, they're very similar to this style. And that, and we've done one, I think, for the podcast way back before David even joined, in which he does a lot of this similar, you've got some black metal elements here, then you've got some like proggy clean singing elements, you've got some random ass instruments thrown in. And yeah, then he very Isan much- does it better, but yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it did have that feel to it to me at times because of the orchestral arrangements and because of the the clean singing but also like yeah it was sort of like musical-esque to me but maybe maybe i'm alone in that 
I mean, I don't know if I, you know, not being a speaker of Japanese and not really being able to translate what the song titles were. I couldn't tell if there was a story that was going on that I just didn't get, which is entirely possible. Um, so it could have been a, like a concept album in that way. I don't know. Well, that- it probably has a concept to it, right? And Ibaraki is like a like some kind of a demon. Yes. Um, if you've got Jigoku is hell. I know Jigoku is hell, right? Don't make me read you. Like each song, I've got like two or three paragraphs here explaining the meaning. Oh wow. Yeah, no, it let me I was gonna say before David goes into the meanings of these songs real quick that I kind of get this is saying it's kind of like a musical is kind of why I was saying it's a Shimmer Shogun too, because Trivium Shogun album is pretty much Jason the Argonauts retelling and very Greek Odyssey kind of sound. So there's probably aspects of that here. Now, on to David to educate us. I'll just tell you just a couple. Ronan, he talks all about working with a guy from My Chemical Romance, which we reviewed not that long ago. I'll just read you two of them. Um, Susanoo no Mikoto. So this is the penultimate track. This is the Japanese storm god who was expelled from heaven in the Shinto religion. What I like about Japanese stories of the gods is a lot like Norse mythology or Greek mythology, which Shintoism isn't a mythology. It's an actual religion. My mom practices Shinto, but the gods are imperfect, which I love. In this story... Uh, Susano kills an eight-headed dragon by getting each of its heads drunk on sake so he can save a fisherman's daughter and thanks Japan force her to marry him I have the whole story tattooed on my back and then the last track Kaizoku. Kaizoku is the Japanese term for Viking, which is a word I've never seen before. I've described the outro as almost a nightmare before Christmas vibe if it had happened in Eastern Europe. We're kind of spaghetti Western gypsy sound. I mentioned this to a friend of mine who's a journalist in Prague, and she said it actually makes sense because spaghetti Westerns were inspired by Akira Kurosawa films, so the whole thing came around. So you can just ponder that. That's where his head was at. Very, very fond of him, very whimsical. I think the guy can write some melodies. I mean, I he think that there's definitely some catchy melodies on here. I also like the the heaviness level on a number of the tracks. Um, it's very heavy. My complaint sure. tends to be, though, that many of the songs are too long and they don't go anywhere. So they just kind of are drawn out. But that said, uh, I don't think I'm the target audience for this. I think that maybe fans of Chopin, fans of Trivium are probably in the bag, whereas I, I am not. I, I feel like you just need to put a picture of me, target audience, and you're probably going with it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, uh, it does. I didn't realize that Matt Heavey was of uh, Japanese heritage, so it makes a lot more sense now. But, you know, it also just reminds me of, like, David will remember this in the 80s when there was the big Japanese craze, and, like, so everybody's playing, like, a little... Japanese riff on their guitar. Oh, I remember other stuff. And I was like, yeah. Mr. So Roboto like, oh, okay. was in full effect. Yep. I was worried this was that. Oh, this God. is slightly different than that. It is slightly different than that. But um no, it's it's the 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 playing on it is excellent. I mean, yeah, yeah. He is an excellent guitarist. I don't think he's as good of a singer as Gabe does. I I think there's a reason why he brought in so many vocalists. But oh, I think his clean cool. singing is good. I don't think his oh, okay. I don't think his harsh his harsh singing is like I, I personally find them grating, but like there are a lot of vocalists in that style who I'm more impressed by. Sure. I think his the, harsh singing yeah. is the result of blowing his voice out twice, screaming, and then still doing well, maybe it. Maybe don't do that anymore. Yeah. And I yeah, think I see a voice uh, coach. <laughs> well, I think that's what his is evolved into. Because if you listen to his uh, to ascendancy, there's screams on here sound nothing like it. But also the um I'm gonna say intelligibly the the non-decipherability of his screens has stayed the same throughout his whole career, though. They're very, he emphasizes 
different parts and words that you wouldn't expect in Scream, so it's hard to understand them. Oh, I don't. Well, shall we do some tracks? Let's do some tracks. I agree. I go first. Most kind of say I like them all, but I really enjoy Kaguchi, Ronin, Akumu, to name three of them. Um, I will not butcher the song titles, uh, so I will just, you know, the ones that I I liked was definitely not all of them, but um, I did like the one where Isan came in tracks five and eight, and they provided the additional vocals on track nine. I liked the one that had Gerard Way on it, which was track eight, yeah. uh, Ronan. But yeah, there there's some cool stuff scattered throughout. Um, I do agree with with both Gabe and David in that the opening and closing track are just like very strange to me in context of everything else. But you know, it is what it is. I like. I think it was Akumu Komorebi and maybe Kagatsuchi, but that was about it for me. I thought Tamashi no Haukai and Susano no Mikata were both good. This whole thing. I like the video game noises. I I don't. I like the video game noises. I'm down. Like, just bring on Mr. Roboto, I guess. I don't know. I just gave in to this thing as it raised its Nodachi and cut me in half. So I don't know. It was better than some of the things Tracy has tried to to do to us. And it has a crying, a horse crying blood. I mean, what's not to like about any of this? In some ways, it's more interesting than trivium, but that's a conversation for another time. Mm, Sure. All right. Which brings us to Gabe's pick. Which, by which, was released on March 7th of 2006 on TP Records. John Anginello is the producer. The runtime of this is uh, about 48 minutes. I don't have the exact time in front of me here. And the band... It's 41. 41, okay. So not 48 at all. Uh, Kyle Thomas on vocals and guitars. Graham Cleese on guitars. Dave Sweetapple on bass, and Jay Maskus on drums. So, Gabe, tell us all about this. So I did not, or had no knowledge of this before I was trying to find something for uh, this uh, grab bag. And I stumbled on this record and I was like, whoa, Jay Maskus made a metal record? He made a stoner deal album? That's really cool. I'm going to check that out. And I decided to kind of abuse the... (laughs) the parameters of this uh, assignment by looking at someone who isn't in a metal band on the regular and his side project happens to be metal or one of his side projects happens to be a metal project. And the other weird thing about this is of course that Jay Maskus is a guitarist. He's not a drummer. Most people know him as a, as a guitarist. And I thought this album was surprisingly good, but um, maybe not so surprising that the guitar tone is like spot on for this style. And I like the fact that it is uh, both psychedelic, but also really, really simple. It approaches something like the platonic ideal of stoner rock. Like it doesn't, it's not too hot, not too cold, not too doomy, you know, not too sped up. It's like kind of just right. It sits right in that spot. I wish that you could hear the vocals better on this album, but they're buried in the mix. However, I do think that they're competent and they should be given more space. The last thing I wanted to note about this too is that, you know, for an album that's really psychedelic, it's funny that Jay Maskus himself is straight edge and he's avoided drugs and alcohol since like the early eighties. <laughs> so um, that is pretty awesome to 
you know, be able to conjure up that kind of atmosphere in the total absence of those kinds of substances. I feel like the voice where it is at the mix is kind of a product of the style, which I think it suits it really well because you're not going to find very many stoner metal bands where the voice is put really on high and it can kind of be off-putting in some situations when it is. I can see but that. The, but I think it works. And I think this is a really groovy album to say the least. Yeah, I enjoyed this a lot because I like things like I never, is it Caius? Is it Caius? Anyway, uh, that stuff. And obviously High on Fire, we've now done a couple of those, right? Two or three of them. Um, again, this surprised me too. I, I don't know what, I, I wasn't sure what, I had no idea what to expect. But when it was this, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing Stoner Rock. And it was really fun. But I guess you don't need drugs to achieve this mental state. He may have just had, you know, the pain of life crushes soul, which probably feels similar. So he's had a number of spiritual journeys, which I assume have proceeded um, mainly without the aid of uh, acid. So that's, uh, that's something that's cool. Sufi type shit. Anyway, it was, um, I thought this album was really fun and very, very listenable. I agree with you. It's sort of in the Goldilocks space of a stoner album. Yeah. I thought this was the funnest album that we did um for this grab bag but you know i'm kind of in the back for doom you know i was actually surprised when i found out that jay mascus played drums on this because when i heard the guitar tone i was like oh yeah that's that's probably a big muff which mascus is uh, renowned for playing uh, in dinosaur jr so i just thought that this was his guitar tone all over it i did think that the songs are kind of long which is not uncommon for stoner um rock and it, it got a little repetitive but man it was it was cool and fun to listen to because it's, it's you're, you're right, it's in that sweet space of Stoner Rock and Psychedelia, and there's a lot of really cool drone moments in here. Yeah, they're all you can just they're all just kind of having fun grooving out. I don't think they're drone, they may drone on some while, but if you don't go to Stoner Rock for the droning at times, what are you going to Stoner Rock for? I'm the weed man, and then the droning is going to be part of what you do anyway. So, all right. But this is definitely cool. I mean, I don't know. I can't pretend to know anything about any of these people other than Jay Mascus, but, you know, I enjoyed listening to it. I was glad you turned it off onto it. There are mass holes or Vermonters. Is there more that you need to know? <laughs> well, like, the lead singer is Kyle Thomas, and he's known as King Tough. I've never heard anything about him, but Wikipedia has him with his garage rock indie pop power pop neo psychedelia and stoner doom <laughs> like like the stoner doom is like the one that sticks out which i think is probably entirely due to which i haven't listened to king tough but i'd be <clears throat> open to listening to them now that i know a little bit more about that yeah i would give them a listen to just what the hell did anybody like and maybe not um since this i think was a new band for all of us did anybody listen to their sophomore album to see how they progressed it was more the same yeah, I was curious. The album cover is absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so I, I want to listen to it. It's described as being a, more of a coherent band, not surprisingly, than this performance. It, it so, was reviewed well. David, so. how terrifying was it? Like this on a album. scale from Pagan Mind to Cerebral Rot? What, what I mean, is Druid Lord in there somewhere? <laughs> Dude, it's pretty Druid rough. Lord is closer <laughs> to the Cerebral Rot end, I would say, right? <laughs> yeah, it's on that end of the scale. I'm looking at it now, and it's it's unfortunate. <laughs> it's like a japanese ghost story level of just what the fuck yeah it does have i wouldn't look at it, it does have some very ring vibes so it really does dude it's it's unfortunate yeah. that font they've developed <laughs> i mean i feel like we're giving this album a short shrift but it's just because it's cool and it's very you know stonery but i don't know what else to say about it. i don't know it's like, a fun it's, ride it's 
yeah it's it's not one of those albums where you're talking about how technical the guitar playing is it's all i mean it seems like it's really well played it's not a rock which none of it's super technical none of it it's like and none of us are disagreeing on anything of this i think that's also part of it it's like for, oh yeah well the guitarist on this had a very good feel for this genre of music i will say that I guess the entire band does, to be fair, because it's a, a one solid ass groove. I agree with uh, Gabe's assessment of the mix. I wish that the singing had been mixed a little bit more forward and all that good stuff. But anyway, yeah, and that's I differ from you guys in that aspect because I like it. My Stoner Rock being a little muddy. I like it being kind of similar to how Red Fang was last year, just a muddiness. I think it adds a warm feeling to the sound of the album. I don't want it to sound crisp. I don't want it to sound clean. I want this thing to sound. Like it was recorded on a tape deck in the seventies. Well, one, one of the things I liked most about this album is it did not sound like Red Fang, and it sounded slightly crisp, <laughs> and it did not sound like it was recorded in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Ben. I just had to uh, object on that count. I was like, "Thank God, it's not Red Fang." <laughs> well, what for whatever you can say about Red Fang and like them recording in in pools, empty pools, which I appreciate, David. That's not is that you can understand the singer better on Red Fang than you could on this. That's true. I mean, it's a choice. What whatever you yeah. think of it, 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 it is a yeah, choice. Yeah. It's not just like them being incompetent or something. And I, but I also just thought it was really interesting, even though you know Stoner doesn't have to be complicated i still find it impressive that they can make it simple without it becoming stupid like i think that the first track is like a really good example of that it is essentially just like hey let's just like play something that is vaguely a blues like let's play like let's like noodle around on like three notes of a pentatonic scale (laughs) you know like let's just Mm. like it's like totally simple but and yet it rocks i don't know like it just works well, this is one of those things, and to your point, uh, that is anybody could play this from a technicality standpoint, but having the feel to do that and have it not break down and, and be just completely boring is a, dis- a distinct skill set that these guys have. Well, shall we talk about songs? Sure. We could do it. I could go first. I pretty much like all of them. And I would shout out in particular the first one, Seer, that I was talking about before, as well as Changing. I think that's a badass riff. I think it's so good. Um, I will agree with that. Uh, I think some of the later half of the album runs a bit long, um, much like Seer does. But uh, this is overall, being only around 41 minutes, short enough, just take the ride. Because, I mean, that's what you're here for with, if you're going to listen to a Stone or Doom album. Take the ride all. Yeah, take the ride all. If you're going to like one, you're going to like them all. I do think Seer and Black Sand are the two major standout standouts on this album, though. But it's 41 minutes. Go for it. It's not an hour like I asked you on the previous album. All right. Time to grade these wonderful things. I guess I will go first with the Wizard of American Hatred. Um, man, I think this is a monster. It sounded really good. It reminded me of why I liked Phil back in the 90s. I'm going to give it an A-. minus. I'm going to come in in that exact same place. It uh, surprised me. It was really a cool lesson and better than I remember the first album being and very different than Down. So well done. A minus. This sounded a lot like Great Southern Trend Kill to me, but not as good as Great Southern, Great Southern Trend Kill. And that was a B for me. So this is a B minus. All right. Well, I don't have any history with this band and I don't have the Pantera feels that everybody else does. Uh, so this is going to get an A from me. I think it's really great. 
that brings it in right at a 90. Would y'all purchase this album? Yes. Yeah. Yep. No, I don't think I would. You're a coward. I'd buy it for y'all for Christmas. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank but you. We are, but we already own it, so we were gifted to you. <laughs> and then you went up with three copies of it. Yeah. <laughs> Probably 1999. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then it becomes two, three big ass coasters in the house. <laughs> that would be pretty epic. That would be. Uh, GZR Plastic Planet. Uh, you know, is it as good as I remembered? Who even knows? It was fun. It's a sort of a, an interesting moment in metal history where these two timelines converge. I'm going to give this a B. It's probably going to be higher than the rest of you, but that's where I'm at. Well, it's definitely going to be a little bit higher than me. It is not as good as I remember, uh, even though I don't know that I, like I said, um, maybe I own this because I own one of these and I'm given the time frame, I think it had to have been Plastic Planet, not Black Science, because I remember Burton Seabell being on it. Anyway, that's a long way to say I'm going to come and just below you and give it a B minus. Um, it's a cool, there are some cool moments on it, but like as far as the strong album, I remember liking it a lot more than I did on this listen. I am going to come in a little bit lower than that uh, at a C plus. I think this is for ultimate fans of Geezer and pretty much nobody else. I'm going to come in a little bit above David, actually. I'm going to give it an 87. So right there at a B, just not quite a B plus. That gives us an average of 83. It's a B. Would you, would you buy this album? Nothing. I, mean, I, I did. Yeah, sure. Nope. I know I don't usually buy B albums, but I feel like I have to buy it again. I bought it then. The cover was epic. The cover is epic. I I don't know if I would or not, honestly. And I will buy some B minus and sometimes a C plus album, depending on what it is. I, I'm, I'm not sure on this one. Our final, our next album is my pick in Ibaraki, Rashomon. And I'm going to give this an A minus 92. As was stated earlier, if you want to pick the poster boy for who would like this album, I would be that person. So here we are. It is the penultimate, not the final album. And I'm going to give it a B because I think it has a lot of interesting things. The playing is very cool. It's very different from Trivium. Uh, I came of age in the aforementioned era of insane Japanese shit that was the 1980s. So I was I was here for this. Yeah, I, I was going to delete the final out when we, get, when we actually released it. <laughs> I was like, that's a mistake on my part. Well, now now I've worked it in to make it harder for you, and that, that makes me feel good. I'll get really nitty-gritty with yours and delete it. You just cut me my entire review out. I'm just, just about- there is no explanation. It's just, I'm going to give it a B. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm sitting at a C plus with this one as well. Uh, I don't think I'm in the right, the target audience for this. I am uh, in the same place as Gabe. It's a C plus. There's some really cool stuff on here, but it's, there's not enough of it for me to care. I put you down for a B and you're like, no explanation B. That's what I thought you were actually like giving your great ass. Oh, no, no. That was just, I, that's what you were going to edit David down to. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a little better I was expecting from Ben. <laughs> All right. Would you buy this album? I would. Maybe. Depend on if it were priced right. If I found yeah. this used, I'd buy this for sure. They were used it would, records. It, it would depend on the price. Like if I found this for like five dollars, five to ten dollars somewhere, yeah, sure. What the fuck? It's cool enough for that. But yeah, I would not pay full price. I wouldn't go out of my way. What if it came to you though? What if it just right on the street? I would I would play that track over and over again that starts and has video game noises in the middle, beep, beep, beep. you know? Yeah. There it is. Bing. Just repeat that two seconds the entire time. Do it do it and our final 
final album in which which i think this is pretty great i think it's surprisingly very it, it checks it checks some boxes um so i'm gonna give this i'll put it at a 90 uh i guess i'll go next i'm gonna come in just a hair lower to b plus this was really fun i enjoyed it a lot it was the funnest album this week b plus i'm gonna come in just a little bit lower and david and give it a b i think it's a pretty fun album overall I'm going to come right in there with Tracy and give this a B. It is fun. Um, it, it was the funnest album this week, but I, I like my stoner rock, I guess, done by actual stoners a little more, I suppose. You don't know about Dave Sweet Apple. He could be the stoner. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what the name is. I don't know a lot about you know, what was it, King Tough or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I am making some yeah. assumptions there. I think you are, dude. <laughs> also, I did yeah, appreciate. I appreciated the Howler Monkey lead-in to your grade that you gave us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Wow. It was well, painful. I was I trying to were... like, do I want to give this a higher grade or do I want to give see. this a B? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to come in at a B. So like you were devolving. Now you can redeem I mean, yourself. I, I probably am. Mm-hmm. Would you buy this up? <laughs> well, is this going to redeem me? Um, yeah, I'd buy this up. <laughs> I would too. buy it too. I would too. Yeah, I'd buy this. For sure. Alrighty, that is our solo side project grab bag out of the way. I think we have some interesting choices tonight that we're all true to the letter of the law, true to the letter of the law, unlike last time. (laughs) (laughs) Can't help it if David cheats. For Tracy, I cheated yeah, for Tracy. I love the, the fact that Tracy's calling you out for doing him the solid there. I, I know. <laughs> so dirty. But what are you David do? gets Smack. squeezed a little bit. Just. Yep. <laughs> but speaking of David and grab bags, next one up for us in the bag, and it is Thrash that isn't the big four. And that's happened yeah. sometime. It's this been threatened be, for decades. It has. This is, should be some interesting choices. You're an interesting choice, Tracy. Just slightly. What have you got against the big four, David, huh? I, I mean, it's like big, big oil and big tobacco. You know, I'm trying to. I mean, it's just. Probably the fact that we've already done most of their albums. Yeah. So. <laughs> I figured. Yeah. I mean, we got a half Megadeth discography knocked out. Half Metallica's all of Slayer, about half of Anthrax. So, I mean, yeah. David's running out yeah. of thrash. I will never run out of thrash. They're just going to come back to Slayer, Rain of Blood. Like, we do it again. There's so many. We do the whole catalog of, like, Creator. I mean, there's... Creator. <laughs> creator. Just all that German Exodus. shit we've discovered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we haven't even done all the other... Oh, my God. Was it uh, that Spanish Angela Zapatrida or whatever? Yeah. Like, oh, there, no, dude. Right? We, there's a ton of thrash. We that stuff done, is so no. good. Yeah. I know it is. We need to go back at least one before, the one with the guillotine. Anyway, the point is, yep. we will never run out of thrash. And you're never going to run out of Thunderdown either on Thunderdown Metal Reviews. Baka. Baka.